Hi and welcome to the Calm Edge Rebels podcast. I'm Jenny Field. I'm Advita Patel. I'm Trudy Lewis. Hey everyone, so this week in our new section, the final one for season three, we thought we'd have a talk about our comms retreat. We have one planned very soon and this is where we intentionally go away and focus our minds on our work, coach some of the things out of us that we need to get coached on and, and enable us to move forward. So if you can imagine, sometimes there are things that we have that block us that we need to coach each other out of. And as a threesome, that's and we all coach, that's one of the things that we're doing. The intention with our comms retreat has always been that we bring it to market and that we we offer it out to other people to join us. And we wanted to just share with you some of the experiences that we have had in the past. We've had about three, I think this is our third one. And I found it really beneficial. It's a relaxed setting. We kind of very, in a in a very relaxed way, we do some work, we go on some walks, we eat great food, <laughs> we have lots of fun, and we have a lot of laughter over about three days or so. And the, the the overall intention for this is to make an impact on our lives and to make us different and build up the businesses that we say that we want to have and make us stronger as people who are entrepreneurs, business people, communicators, whatever you want to call yourself. And that's one of the really key things that we have about the retreat. And we found it hugely beneficial to do that type of stuff. So I just want to hand over to Advita to start with, to kind of give us an idea of some of the things that she learned and some of the things that she's changed for the better as a result of the retreats we've had. Yeah, gosh, I love our retreats. Because the first retreat we had, if I remember, is before I actually launched Comms Rebel. And I was still working... Both of you were working for yourself and I was still working in-house and we were in the Cotswolds, I think. It was the Cotswolds. <laughs> and it was the first time I kind of even spoken about comms rebel. And I remember, I remember like both of you have obviously worked for yourselves for, for a while. And I just remember thinking, I need to plan. I need to kind of figure out what I'm doing when I launch. And, and that those three days for me were revolutionary. And, you know, not only did like Trudy, you know, you said we we had fun and we, we did our walks and we had good food and we just had, you know, just relaxed a little bit as well. But we also, for me personally, it was a catalyst for the work that I'm doing today. And it really helped me narrow down my vision and my purpose and my values and figure out what Comms Rebel meant for me and, you know, and, and try to understand that. And I loved those three days because it really helped bring some clarity in my mind. And I think we just don't, as professionals, you know, whether you work in-house or whether you've got your own consultancy or whether you've got desires to work for yourself or whatever, I just don't think we take enough time for ourselves to do these kind of things. And, and today, interestingly, I'm, I've been doing some research recently around burnout and stress because I want, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work with my coaches on trying to figure out what the symptoms are and the differences between the two. And when I was reading the symptoms of burnout, I recognized some of those symptoms in me. And I also realized that it's because I haven't really had as many breaks and as many time, as much time away as I would have liked to have had. So I really cherish you know, these, you know, not only for my own kind of business entrepreneurship side of things, but also for my well-being. And it's been, like I said, you know, we've had three now and each one I've always left knowing 
where I need to go next. And it's given me that real clarity that that sometimes, you know, I've struggled with on my own. That's amazing. I, I feel the same way. It really has been. And it's been a pleasure kind of hanging out with you too. So, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you get to see the warts and all when you, <laughs> when you, when you hang out. But these guys don't have that many warts. So <laughs> anyway, oh, you have been too kind. <laughs> Jenny, what do you reckon? So it's interesting, as you were talking, I was thinking back to Vancouver, because we've always told the story of how yeah. we, we really bonded in Vancouver. And for me, that almost feels like that was almost the prologue to the concert retreats because we all stayed in the same apartment together and I remember sitting there with our laptops and we were writing up our notes and thoughts from the conference and we were just absolutely buzzing off each other and and really enjoyed that sort of time together of being able to share ideas and talk about work and 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 and, and that was was probably the start for me and you're right the Cotswolds one was was brilliant because it's such an opportunity and it and, and it doesn't matter whether you run your own business or not. And in fact, the people I've mentioned the comms retreat to that want to come are people that work in organisations. It's either, you know, business development directors or managing directors who who aren't owners of their businesses, but recognise that need to stop and mm-hmm. just and just refocus and reset in a, in a way that where you're not connected, you're not distracted, you haven't got you know, family or your chores or whatever else might be going on around you because you're in a very different setting, but very focused on you. And I think that's what I enjoy about them. So I know the first one we did, I was looking at how I was going to grow redefining comms. And I was trying to work out what to do in terms of hiring someone and what to make. And, and we sort of really brainstormed that. And and it, it was brilliant. And I also remember the cooking, the cooking I loved because we had we each took different recipes, didn't we? And we all had a little go at cooking stuff, which was fab. But it was just such focused time. And then when we did the one last time, which was almost in the Cotswolds again, wasn't it? It was over that yeah, way. We, we do tend yeah. to gravitate that way. That's where we launched our podcast, where we spent, you know, we spent a chunk of the day with Debbie, our producer, doing our, our podcast and, and launching that. But it's such a good amount of time because actually we end up with maybe three days in total and mm-hmm. it allows you to to get underneath stuff so I've got things on my list for when we get together and do it in a couple of weeks where I want to look at you know I've said that I want to turn the field model into a course and you know there's stuff I want so but I don't get time to really sit and and think about that and not I don't want to just sit and think about it either I think that's that's the bit I cherish the most is I could I could probably make time to sit here with some sharpies and some pictures but I'm not going to solve this on my own so actually having us together in a room and that trusted space of of that bouncing ideas off each other is so powerful to help you unlock that thinking and move quickly and and all it needs is three days you know and Mm -hmm. yeah we do a bit of work don't we in there but it's it is the walks and it's it's the coming out with such clarity of where you're going to go and and I I crave that now this year and I think to Advita's point we haven't had as many breaks and and I know as we, we we're, obviously we text all the time, which we always say, but we're, I think nearly every, every few hours, we're now at the point of, I just can't wait till the end of July. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just so important. I don't think it really matters, you know, where you do it and who you do it with the kind of away, you know, if you're going away, but it's, it's that going away. It's yeah. that switching off from your daily tasks that you do, you know, those kind of, the, the routine that you have to break that routine for a short amount of time to focus on you yeah. and you only. And I think 
what I said before is that I think a lot of folks and the people I've spoken to have always kind of said, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I, you know, I had a bit of time to do that. I'm like, you have to, for your own well-being and for your own progression, you have to make that time. And that's something that I recognise because I was a bit, I was like, oh, can I possibly take that time out? And is it fair for me to do that? And I have to be honest with both of you, the very first one. So after the Vancouver one, when we spoke about doing these retreats, I actually thought that we were just going to have like a, a girly away weekend away. <laughs> so I wasn't really, I genuinely thought we'd get loads of gin and we'd just like, you know, you know, just not do anything. And I, and I suppose the fact that we did actually really be productive in those three days and also have the fun and also have a glass, you know, we did, you know, I'm not saying that we just work, 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 work. It wasn't that at all. That And that's what's important about these, uh, these comms <laughs> retreats that it's not I'm just. Sorry, I, I remember I the know. games that we played where we. I know. I know. That's the thing. It's those fun games and that really relaxed way of working that makes you more creative, I think, yeah. and more innovative yeah. about the way you do. And it, when you're so, work, you know, we say this, don't we? And all you would have heard loads of folks saying, oh, I'm working on my business today, not in my business today. And I always thought that was a bit businessy talk, you know, BS. <laughs> When I worked in house, I'm like, oh, whatever, good for you. But it's genuine. Jenny's right. You know, Jenny, you're right. Like, you know, it is those MDs and business development directors and HRDs who don't get that time to just stop. Yeah. And 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 spend time with people who kind of get it and just want a, a view, a different view, right? Because you mm. can get so you get so into your head at times and not really have the the best approach needed sometimes to move forward. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just valued the feedback you know you have ideas about stuff and you think to yourself well my ideas are kind of crazy (laughs) Um, (laughs) here are two people who can actually or here are some people who can actually come alongside and say well actually it's not stupid and maybe you need to think of it this way or that way in order to make it something that can be launched or can be used and I think that's that's incredibly valuable so feedback and clarity for me were two of the things that really stood out. And I think I remember our first one was booked from Vancouver. One of the things we said we wanted to do with the comms retreat was make a real impact on other people, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. kind of how we're, how are we going to make an impact? And that comes from collaborating and building up, building each other up in terms of what we're doing and what we're saying. So, you know, let us know if you'd like to know more about joining us on a future retreat which would be amazing we'd love to have you come along or we'd love to organize one for you we have loved presenting season three it's been a lot of fun we've had a lot of great topics and hope you enjoyed it as well the episode that follows this news is a pretty deep one we're talking about trust and fear hopefully it's not too too heavy <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry it's my fault we got a bit it's deep and yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> it is pretty, um, it's pretty deep it's pretty deep it's good it was good it was good it was really good please keep in touch with us via our social channels we'd love to hear from you your ideas about what we can feature in season four along with feedback any feedback that you have or reviews we'll speak to you soon and we look forward to being back here in, is it September? Yeah, early September yeah. we're back with season four. September, we look forward to hearing from you. <laughs>If you want to find out more about how you can work with us you can visit our website which is calmedgedrebels.com here you can find out more about each of us individually and it will also give you links to our own websites which are colinear.co for trudy 
commsrebel.com for Advita and Redefining Comms for me, Jenny. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Carmage Rebels. And you can also follow us individually on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. So if you do want to work with us around communications, consulting, coaching or workshops, please do get in touch. So in this episode, I really want to talk about the relationship between fear, trust and professionalism. And part of that is because this is a diagram that I scribbled down in January 2020 when I was reading the book, The Science of Fear. And I was also reading a book by Pan, who are a professional body organisation, and they had written a research book around promoting professionalism. So everything was kind of coming together. And I've scribbled a diagram that talks about fear and the link to risk and gut feeling and how that links to trust which is around integrity uh, and competency, and then how that links to professionalism when there is a lot of talk about professionalism being on the decline. And it all kind of links together for me in terms of how we view professionals, how we class someone as a professional, how we deal with assessing risk and how that's linked to fear and trust. There's lots of little thoughts in my head. Mm -hmm. And because we talk a lot about professionalism and we talk a lot about being a professional in communications and PR, but also we talk about trust and leadership and all those different things. So it's trying to knit various different subjects together. And as I was reading a book by Matthew Said called Rebel Ideas, there were other things that then pulled into it for me that made me want to, to kind of talk about it today and really talk about whether there is a link between fear and trust and professionalism, whether professionalism really is on the decline, and really how we go about making decisions. And there's a quote in Rebel Ideas, where it talks about how we make decisions and how we are so quick to judge people. And it basically says that we don't really have the time to check evidence for everything. So we have to take things at face value. So we trust doctors, chemists and teachers, and we trust things because of the cues that people give, like the white coat on a doctor makes us trust them more because of the way that we make decisions. But there's a lovely quote in the book where it says, you know, ask yourself, could you tell a good statistician from an incompetent one or a good biologist from a bad one or a good nuclear engineer or radiologist or macroeconomist from a bad one? Nobody can really assess such a long chain for themselves. Instead, we depend on vastly complicated social structures of trust. We must trust each other. But with that trust comes a vulnerability and it makes us vulnerable. And I just think it's really interesting how we decide whether someone's good at something or they're not. And when we're seeing a decline in professionalism across various different professionals, you know, what does that mean when we talk about the rise of the entrepreneur and do people want to be professionals or not? So there's lots in there, but I just really want to know your thoughts and whether or not you think I'm bonkers for sort of knitting together these three component parts. And what does it really mean? Fear, trust and professionalism. That's very deep. I know. I know it's a heavy one this time. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I, I think one of the underlying, you know, what you quite clearly said, I think it all kind of boils down to trust for me. Whether I, you know, and you're right, you know, you do have to give people that face value sometimes. So the white coat on the doctor, you know, somebody who talks with such such confidence about a subject that you don't question it. And we know people in the profession who claim to know something and because your knowledge is a little bit more 
I suppose not as great as that as you kind of just trust what they say right to an extent unless you've got time to go and do your due diligence and and all that kind of stuff and it's just such an interesting such an interesting subject and I also do think it is 100% I agree with you I do think it's linked with fear of questioning someone's authority on something that they claim to be an expert in right so we know we've read the stories where doctors and chemists and all those scientists have got it wrong have got it wrong you know that they they haven't done their due diligence and made mistakes so that ultimately we're all human beings right mm-hmm. data and science can take us only so far but some of the decisions we have to make I think or some of those clinical decisions made it, it it's down to stats and data and insight and, and human beings don't fall in that that neatly I don't think into those boxes that people often try and put us into but then that fear kind of sets in and you think well they obviously know what they're talking about because they're the expert and I'm not. And that, again, links into your own self-belief and self-worth, I think, in terms of not being able to ask that question. And we've said in our previous podcast episodes about being curious mm-hmm. and staying and being intuitive and asking the questions, because if we don't ask those questions, if we're uncertain, then we are letting that fear get in the way, I think, of our, our professionalism. And also, you know, we're taking things that face value. And I suppose the question back at you from what you've read is, where do you where do you draw that line in terms of that, that professionalism and face value? You know, if somebody who I know has practiced in PR and or business for 30, 40 years and they tell me something with such confidence, what is it about them that's driving me for me to believe them? Is it is it is, do you think it is because they built that trust with me? from what they've shared and what they've written and and the conversations they've had? I don't think it is. From everything that I've read, I think there are certain cues that we use to bring us back some of that stuff about the the complexity with which we make decisions and judgment. We have to make so many decisions as human beings every day. So to make them quicker, we use certain things to help us do that, which has a risk associated to it. But things like your appearance is kind of proven to be an identifier of kind of professionalism, professional behavior. And, you know, we've talked about personal branding and things like that before now on here, but it's not so much, I don't think it's so much about kind of what you say, but the way that you say it. And I think there are, there are certain cues that we take as human beings to believe people and take their expertise forward. And there is stuff about, you know, if you put someone in a white coat to give, you know, advice, people are more likely to pay attention than if someone's not in the white coat, because it, we, we look at those cues to help us take authority and decisions and knowledge and everything else. You know, PR and comms people don't have the white coat. So what can they have that would give people the opportunity to see them as a professional, which is when I come on to things like chartered status or accredited or, or things like that that allow you to make those decisions. But because our, no- our world is so noisy and our world is, is now so vast because of the Internet, our ability to make decisions on whether somebody is professional or somebody is believable is harder because we're looking at we're looking for cues to be able to say yes that person is is trustworthy and I think that's harder to do in a very digital world it is but you know everything that you've just said just makes me has made me start thinking about how I judge professionalism how I kind of look at people and make the decision as to whether they're trustworthy or they they are who they say they are and and I and I guess a big question and for those listening I think ask yourself the question what makes you trust someone what makes you trust that professional who puts themselves forward and says I'm able to do xyz I'm not so sure about 
the idea that having a professional qualification does that. I think there is there's a, something in that that of course there is a level of credibility that you gain from that. But how many of us know when you've done an exam and you've you've kind of blagged it through? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know you, you've you've still arrived at the same outcome of I've achieved this particular particular status. Mm. So believability comes from how you come across in in a big way. For me, that's that's probably a stronger thing for me is how you come across, what you say, what you have to say to back up the claim that you're able to do something. How you then articulate that you approach something so you know within coaching I'd probably look at somebody who says oh yes I'm a coach I'm a coach and then they might give you a through few scenarios of what they've done and you kind of think to yourself nah you're not a coach yeah <laughs> that's something else you know and I think that's that's the the measure of whether or not I can trust that person now whether or not I would actually give that person some business and why it's so critical and so important is that we're constantly, you know, you're marketing yourself, you're marketing your brand and so on. When you're shaping your brand, that's definitely something you have to think about as well, isn't it? It's like, how am I coming across to people? Am I convincing enough? Or when I convince them to the max, you know, I'm able to, to, to kind of really show them this amazing picture of this professionalism. My website is perfect. Everything that I do is amazing. And then suddenly that's not what they get when they meet you. Mm -hmm. I think and, and that responsibility is the individuals as much as it is the, the person coming to speak to you from what you just said it's just it's just made me think about when I asked Jenny the question about you know what is it that makes you trust people and for me I have to admit it's it's the data and insight and the evidence that they show me that proves their, their, that they know what they're talking about and you know and then reduces the fear I have in trusting them because you do get, you know, you do have that a little bit. You do have that fear about, you know, as humans, we we are very cautious, I think, you know, majority, we can be, especially with social media and everything, we can be cautious at times. We also have this sheep mentality where, you know, one person says something and another person says it, and then they talk about the same person over again. And before you know it, this individual's got this credibility that you're not quite sure where they've got the credibility from and why people are following them and why people are listening because they still don't have in my opinion, any evidence that backs up their claim that they're the expert in that area, but because other people have put them on that pedestal and other people have spoken about how great they are at doing that particular role or doing that particular piece of work, then they seem to have created this own aura around them. And you hear about those fraudsters, don't you, all the time. You read stories about them and they normally get caught out pretty, pretty quickly. But by that point, lots of people have lost thousands if not millions of pounds in investing in these individuals yeah. just because of the sheep mentality that we often have and it's interesting if I think about things like clubhouse when that came up and there were so many questions over the people like you're talking about there of people that had a platform everyone believed them and then it mm -hmm. became quite apparent that actually they didn't really have these businesses and they didn't really have this money and you know all that kind of stuff there and I know we talked about that a lot at the time and I went down rabbit holes of <laughs> people's names and into company's house and you know because I was like I just don't know whether to believe this person or or not because I don't know kind of who they are and I think that's the other thing that I find interesting and in reading the the books that I've read and in knitting these three things together you know we live in a world that is very driven by fear you know not just from the pandemic but the book the science of fear talks about how 
we're kind of made to believe that things are so much worse today than they have ever been. Whereas actually we are the healthiest, wealthiest, you know, we've ever been. And there's a great quote by President Roosevelt who said, this is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly, nor need we shrink from honestly facing conditions in our country today. This great nation will endure as it has, as it has endured, will revive and will prosper. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. And I love the end of that quote, because I think that's what I think is happening, is we are being made to be fearful of things quite a lot of the time, which means that we distrust things, which means that if professionalism is built on trust, professionalism will decline because we're being made to believe that we're we're constantly kind of fearful. So there's just this sort of shift, I think, in society. And in that book, The Science of Fear, it talks about the media and their role in all of that and everything as well. And there's such a big correlation for me if I look at these three component parts that if professionalism is on the decline because we're seeing the rise of the entrepreneur and because, you know, the people that are coming through into work now don't see the benefits necessarily of being a professional is part of that linked to the narrative of fear and then the increase in distrust, if that makes sense as a double positive negative or whatever that was. <laughs> but I think there's something in there around how we, you know, we do, if I, if I think about things like the news, if I think about everything that seems to be said, it's, it's quite a lot of stuff that is designed to make you be worried and anxious about everything. And this is not just, you know, COVID-19 related. I think there's always been things that you'd hear, because we hear about things now that have happened around the world. So hearing about, you know, a murder of the other side of the world, yes, it's it's horrific, but I've got no context of whether that is is something that's abnormal or actually in the grand scheme of how many things happen, that's actually less than used to be years ago, but I've got access to that information now that I wouldn't have had before. So therefore, I'm I'm being made to feel like this is, you know, absolutely terrible and happening all the time. But it's because we've just got more access to stuff and more access to stuff that can drive that perpetual fear that then helps us, you know, become a society that is just constantly a bit worried, distrusting and currently now becoming probably more polarised than ever. This is a heavy one, isn't it? This week? I know. Sorry. I, <laughs> I, was thinking, I was just thinking about how manipulative some of that sounds. Yeah. yeah, I know you mentioned media and and a lot of it is kind of a manipulation to get people to whether or not they want them to buy something or act a certain way, because what you're leaning into is that whole societal engagement, how we get society to do certain things and, and this underlying kind of thing that's going on from these bigger organizations that are actually shaping how we think, feel, act at any given time and so it, it's fascinating to look into it however I think there's also us rising up out of that and saying actually no I'm going to have my own mind I don't need to yeah. have a media or have anything else tell me how I need to think about this I'm going to think but we are in a society where people are a little bit and, and I include myself in this we're all a bit lazy so we are the headline generation aren't we is this yeah. about, you know we're not going to we will trust and believe things that we see on Twitter we, without delving into it and saying, well, what's the source of that news? What's the real news behind that? So we only see it for face value. And I, and I do think that if you think of fear being generated from those 
from those elements, then suddenly it's it's like we're, we're going down a certain rabbit hole that just could be quite dangerous as well, you know. And and I, and I think it's something that we need to somehow break out of. I think in terms of when you then look at that whole fear, the link with trust and professionalism, then you look at how that links back to the industries that those people, that those professional people represent. And suddenly it's wearing away the credibility of the very industry that they're representing. So suddenly it's not just about their own professionalism or about others in the profession, but then it's the entire industry. People Mm. begin to distrust, you know, recently in recent times, we've heard how people generally do not trust media. Now, in itself, media is still amazing. You know, the things that the things that they still do, it's still quite a professional group of people who go out there and do journalism and all the rest of it. But people are distrusting them. And it's, again, a, a slightly a propaganda thing around how false they are and how they're, you know, false news. And yes, there is false news, but there's also true news. And there's mm. also real stuff that's being done. So it's it's how fear for me it just boils back down to the whole thing of who's manipulating who in this scenario you know who is actually using this fear to build distrust to promote themselves or others that then sets us all up really yeah <laughs> sorry it's a lot of um... fascinating <laughs> I love this podcast we go from talking about like our weekly news of what we're up to to like like some really nice subjects about like what's inspired us and reading books to like this really heavy stuff around societal change I know I feel like I'm gonna have to lie down on my couch in a minute but I was I was just kind of thinking you know when you talked about manipulation as well but I also think it's down to you know if you look at the media and the reports around the bias the media holds towards the the folks who own the the newspapers and you know the they say don't they the world is ruled by the one percent of billionaires that are out there Mm -hmm. and they're the ones who control the information that we have you know so people if you look at the conspiracists that are out there he'll talk about the fear mongering around covid and the jabs and all that kind of stuff and it's, it's how it's run by pharmaceutical companies and everybody runs on that kind of pathway and starts googling you know google googling whether it's you know it's an accurate source of information and that is that's where i that's where my fear comes from in the sense that people are basing their information by the number one search on google and i'm just like you know pe- people who don't understand how search engine optimization works and how people can manipulate to get to number one on google and how they can pay to have that number one search thing but i try and i try and speak to you know, people in my circuit and my family who do do, you know, who who believe the news from the WhatsApp messages that go around and the Google and the first page that comes up, which is often propaganda. And I'm like, look at the data and the stats that you, you know, and insight. And we all, you know, don't get me wrong, we know we can manipulate those stats and data to make it sound like how we want it to sound like, but you've got to be enough, you've got to be curious enough to understand how it works, which is why I talk about learning and educating yourself in this area of work if you're going to have a strong opinion about something and because often you know we listen to people my, my, for example my dad listens to these YouTube news shows because that's the other thing now the world so in in the olden days I'm talking about <laughs> when I was a, when I was a youngster we had what four channels five channels on TV right we had no access to the internet we didn't have social media you couldn't just set up a YouTube channel and create your own news for crying out loud 
Now you've got people who've got like their own YouTube channel with news channels that they're creating, which my dad listens to, and he kind of trusts some of that information. I'm like, dad, these people are doing it because of this. They're not basing it on any research. They're basing it on their own feelings and opinions and what they believe. And that's, all. you know, you have to be so careful about what you're watching and what you're reading and what you're observing this day and age, because there is so much out there and you can get easily swept away with the noise. And, mm. you know, I always remember the, the line of, you know, edit your choices, edit your choices. What is it that you want to know more about, learn more about and educate yourself in that, in that specialism, if that's what you want to, you know, care about. As much as, as, much as I say that we, we've got an opinion about everything. Yeah, we do. I think all three of us do have an opinion <laughs> about most things. But I would say there's only two or three things that we would say to everybody that we're specialists in. You know, and we wouldn't, yeah. you know, we'd have a view, but we, I wouldn't say this. I would always say that's my opinion, not this is fact. And I think that's where some people go wrong. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's just made me think that end point you made there about the the article I wrote about there's your truth, there's my truth, and then there's facts. And I think that's the distinction that, that we need to make a lot of the time. But if I think about, you know, being a professional and professionalism, there is, there is something about kind of defining that and about making sure that that is kind of protected, I suppose, in my opinion, because I know all three of us talk a lot about our our development and our, you know, I know, Advita, you've talked about your need for certificates and <laughs> courses to, to be able to go and do stuff. And, you know, we talk a lot about coaching and qualifications and chartered, but there is something about what it is to be a professional. And, and some of that comes down to that kind of knowledge and experience as sort of the two anchor points of professionalism. But if you don't know anything about what that person does, so if we take PR, for example, if you work in a completely different profession and you've got no idea what PR is, the knowledge that somebody can impart on you might be total nonsense because you don't know what you don't know. So therefore, you have to be able to have something that allows you to check that the knowledge that this person is imparting on you is accurate and, you know, helpful and ethically sound and all those things. And how can you do that? Which brings me to things like chartered and qualifications and and stuff like that. But how do you know? How do you know that someone who is saying they are a professional is a professional we, we, I'm getting back into our investment in expertise episode that we've already done <laughs> um because it's how you know how do you know to invest in that but it is if it's about kind of knowledge and experience how do we protect that and how do we make sure that people know what that looks like because it's not about agreeing and having all the same ideas and the same thinking that's not what this is about but it's about having that kind of standing and professionalism but what does that look and feel like I think it's out it has to be outcome led right that's that's the main thing and and ethical and ethical ethical and outcome led and show me the results like dem- show me what you have done in this area of work that demonstrates that you're qualified to do this piece of work yeah. and it's as simple as that but in my experience you know it is about what I want I am you know I those who know me personally will know that I am I can be a bit cynical about certain people no um, <laughs> no <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> And I, you know, I do want to, I will always kind of do my due diligence and be like, right, let, can I just see, you know, can I see the clients that you worked with before? Let me look at the evidence that you've got before. I'll always check out, um, I'm, I'm like, I'll always check out feedback. I'm always the one that will read the feedback and, 
you know, and I'll always be really balanced with it. And I'll always, you know, I'm always, I'm always really suspicious of uh, websites that have got all 100% five-star, you know, reviews. So I'll try and find an independent site where people have spoken about the product or service. And I will do my due diligence because at the end of the day, firstly, if I'm investing time, resource and money into something, I want to make sure that it's something that I can trust so then I don't get that fear of something going wrong. And that's where I think the fear comes in, is that if I'm going to hand something over and, and ask people for their expertise, I want to make sure the expert I'm bringing on board is somebody that actually knows what they're doing and not because they've managed to get themselves a fancy website and a few of their mates to write testimonials for them. And it, but, it does but, do you, but do you think your cynicism and the need to do that due diligence is driven out of the fact that you're made to feel fearful that people that the majority of people aren't genuine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, of course I do. Because you read, yeah, you're right. It is down to the fact that I've heard stories that other people have been burned when they've hired somebody who's absolutely ripped them off. And things from building work to somebody that you might bring in to do some work for you and how they've kind of disappeared off the face of the earth or ghosted you, you know, after after taking your cash and not delivered. And those kind of stories play in your mind, right? And, I, and you're 100% right. You've got more access to those kind of stories than you did before. And before you relied on, like I said, the four channels, five later on, and then or your, or your kind of little little community around you, your friends, you know, you used to, like those stories of a friend of a friend. Oh, a friend of a friend, this happened to them. And I was like, oh gosh, yeah, I better be careful about that. Now you've got three million friends, really, you know, like little three million kind of... <laughs> Get you! I know, I know, look at me, no. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like seven degrees of separation, isn't yeah. it? So you, you'll hear somebody from Timbuktu who's had a problem with somewhere with some mechanic or something, and you'll stick in your mind and be like, oh, you know, in Manchester, are we too, too <laughs> really careful? <laughs> but is that, isn't it? It's that, it's, it's the, it, you know, we talk about context as well a lot, yes. and I know I'm always talking about the importance of context, but it almost feels like that that's the missing bit in these three components is, is the context that will allow us to make decisions because we're not very good at, at making decisions based on data and risk because we're it's not easy for us to do that as human beings. If, if you look at some of the stuff around things like 9-11 and when that happened and people stopped flying, actually it caused more accidents on the roads because there's more risk of having a car accident than there is of that incident happening again. But because of the fear, which quite rightly you know came from that and the terror, it, it kind of changes behaviour, but it changes it in a place that is from a from a risk and you know statistic yeah. perspective isn't the yeah, right yeah. place. So there's definitely something in it maybe being that kind of missing piece, that kind of context thing. Because you're right, and I, I as you were talking, then I was thinking about all the work we've had done on the house since we've moved, and how you know my my plumber is is very local and someone that I found on Checker Trade, for example. The electrician we used is my friend's you know cousin, and you know and the plasterer was someone that plastered someone else's house further up the road. So everyone is is from the community with, with that I really trust in my local area. So we haven't had any bad experiences, touch wood, because of that. And if I'd gone out to, you know, a social network to kind of ask, does anyone know a good, you know, is that helpful? Would I have heard loads of horror stories? That's maybe not the right space to do it. So there's definitely, I think, context in this for me that's a component part and community that, that needs to kind of be woven into this sort of fear, trust, professionalism diagram that I can see that no one else can see but I will put in something for when we publish this because there's definitely something in that there's something as well around the simplicity of trust back in the day because Mm -hmm. as you said as you know we've all said 
There's loads and loads of information out there. We never had all that information before, right? So what did you have to do? You had to rely on the friend that recommended somebody else. You know, we didn't have Google to find out the reviews on an individual. We didn't have checker trade. Mm -hmm. Uh, We didn't have any of those types of things previously. And maybe not to say that it's spoiled us. It's it's been, it's amazing that we have so much technology. It's amazing that we have so much information flowing everywhere, but because of it, we have a lot of misinformation as well. And how different was it then when we used to have to use our brain and think about, well, I'm going to have to have a conversation with Jenny because she's just done some some building work at her house or with Advita, who's just built her office, office, and (laughs) they've worked on people that are reliable. So those are the people I'm going to tap into. So when it comes to suddenly my fear is, is, is kind of diminished simply because I trust you guys. So I will believe what you've told me. I'll be, you know, you might say this guy did an amazing piece of work. You have to use this guy. And so I would go that route. And the same would, same is true for business. And back in the day, you would get jobs because people picked up the phone and said, I've got a really great friend who's just absolutely amazing. Could you go and Google and see, let me see how, <laughs> how many yeah. up with an article in, in, in a Google search. No, you couldn't. So you had to believe that individual who said to you, this is the right guy for the job. Mm. We're kind of at that point now where normally we would do our top tips for something. And I'm not going to ask you to come up with top tips on this because it's not really that kind of episode. But there's something Mm -hmm. about maybe that, the thinking about how you move from fear to trust, maybe some, some advice on that. And also if you're looking at kind of professionalism, how we help people see professionalism in a world that is driven by fear and and maybe what's the what's the answers there and and as we've been talking and I said I would scribble down kind of context and community I've also written conversation and communication and I think for me they're the they're the four things that I think are needed to help us navigate the complexity with which we operate today as human beings because it is complex you know we if we're relying on these social structures in order to make decisions and trust people the world is very noisy. There's a lot of us. It's very easy to be in your sort of little bubble of, of stuff. But you're right, Trudy. If if I asked you guys to recommend something and you did, then I, I there's no part of me that would feel the need to go and do Advita's due diligence and check everything out because I would trust that that person is is great and that I, I could rely on them because of our relationship. I wonder how much we we think relationships across social networks have that same depth that make us think we can trust what people say. And maybe we are in a bit of a false economy, if you like, of thinking that those relationships are deeper than they actually are. I could get down another rabbit hole, so I'll stop. Yeah. But those are the things that that's... Something else yeah. as well. But I, I, would, I would encourage people to think about, you know, where are you, where are you getting that information from? Do you really trust that person's opinion? And what makes you trust that person's opinion that allows you to invest, you know, for Vita's point, time, money, resource in something? I don't know if you two have anything. I, I think for me, it would be about building relationship. And, and especially when it comes to moving from fear to trust, you, you can't do it without building relationship. And that comes through being curious by listening by by building a rapport with the individual and and making a real connection 
And and that leads to professionalism because if that same person is then saying to you, you know, I'm an amazing photographer, I'm an amazing whatever, that's the only way you, for me, you'd find out. And I know that, you know, you could say, you just said about the relationships on social. I just don't think they are as deep or they are as, a, you know, I'm able to trust that as much as I could trust actually getting out there. And I know we can't at the moment as freely, but it's it's the connection that we need to make mm. and build relationships, which would be for me. I agree. I think connectivity and human connectivity is really important in building that trust and helping um, helping to kind of, you know, re- reduce the fear. Because I do think fear will always kind of exist in, in some way or another. And also edit edit your choices of what you want to get involved in. I'm I'm 100% kind of convinced on that because, you know, as much as, you know, there's lots of media outlets telling us this, that and the other and we're we're kind of overwhelming news, to be honest, with the information that's been out there, you don't need to be everywhere and have an opinion about everything and take your time to learn and stay curious and ask the questions. That's what I tend to do and to kind of reduce my fear. And if I'm not 100% comfortable with something, then I will just pause um, and try and find the information that I need to find out. And I'll get both sides of the story. And to Jenny's point earlier, it is about context. And I, you know, you'll never, you'll rarely, I'm not going to say never because I have done it before, but you'll rarely see me kind of put my size fives in and, and stamp on a conversation without me on Twitter or Instagram or wherever on social without actually looking at, both sides of the story to see what's going on because you know it's really easy for stories to be carved out one way yeah. uh, especially depending on the platform that individual has as well yeah yeah it's complex isn't it there's a lot in there it has been a heavy one this week so for those that are listening thank you for staying with us as we got deep and meaningful in this week's podcast chat <laughs> but you know sometimes we like to otherwise it's just all very light and fluffy so <laughs> for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it if you have any ideas for future episodes then just let us know on any of our social platforms and don't forget to rate us where you've listened to us you can also leave us a review on apple Podcasts.